Enlorn. And I'm Donna Grace. Welcome to the Life Rebalanced Podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Joy Leary, a psychologist, consultant, speaker, and writer who practices at the intersection of behavior and business, specializing in work on the merger of money, meaning, and mind. In her career, she has been afforded the opportunity to work internationally with bright, curious, driven, accomplished individuals who have been willing to dig deep and ask themselves difficult questions about what is getting in the way of living their true potential. Over time, she was struck by an emerging theme. People's relationship with money is complicated. The conversations that occurred sitting behind closed doors with clients brought into clear focus that a widespread paucity of fiscal literacy and intense discomfort in discussions of money create a perfect storm for relational discord, under-earning, overspending, lost investment opportunity, and crippling financial stress. She is hooked on helping people develop the insight and skills needed to discover how to lead richer, more resonant lives. Dr. Leary has previously served as an associate clinical professor of clinical psychology at George Washington University and has held clinical and research positions at Children's National Medical Center, Penn Medicine, Princeton Health, and the Department of Defense. Joy, thank you so much for joining us today. It is an honor and privilege. I'm so glad to be chatting with you, Lauren. Well, I'm glad to be chatting with you too. And, you know, it's it's just so interesting to me how much overlap there is between being a financial advisor and being a psychologist. Yes. The conversations you are having are very similar to the ones I am having with clients. They definitely are. And we'll get into this with you, but the way that Donna Grace and I typically see these things show up when working with our clients in financial planning is that there tends to be a lot of anxiety around money. And what we see as financial advisors and the way we walk people through that and advise them really tends to be from a psychological perspective because... There is no talking logic when it comes to that type of anxiety. No. The way that that shows up for Donna Grace and I in working with our clients is that there tends to be a lot of times a lot of anxiety around money. And our role as financial advisors really then overlaps into behavioral coaching and coming at it from a more psychological perspective, which is how you're interacting with your clients, Joy. Exactly. So money, I see money as emotional currency. And it's this really fascinating canvas on which we can understand a lot about a person's personality and their beliefs, their tendencies. And when we think about someone's relationship with money, it really is this complex calculus of a personal history, the core belief someone has developed about money that inform then how they are acting with it, Mm -hmm. their cognitive biases that maybe kick in around their money management and their emotions that are steeped in the relationship with the currency. Yes. I love how you phrase that to say that it's an emotional currency because it really is. Mm -hmm. Money for us really at the end of the day is a resource to accomplish the things we're trying to accomplish. And there's so much emotion tied to our goals and our fears and our dreams and aspirations, which is really what we're, what we're working with. Yeah. 
And I think it's interesting where our money mindset, which I want to talk more with you about how that develops and how we get to the place we are when I'm sitting down with a client across the table, someone new I'm working with. Part of my job initially is to really unravel what their money mindset is because that dictates how I'm going to interact with them. Yes. So the truth is everybody has a money story. Mm-hmm. And as adults, our financial lives maybe look very different than those in the house we grew up in. Mm-hmm. But we are indelibly impacted by what we've observed, what was talked about or not talked about, what we experience financially early in our lives, because mm-hmm. that really sets the template then for what we believe, mm-hmm. how we approach work, how we approach spending, earning, mm-hmm. what we think about debt, what is okay, what is not. Mm-hmm. Even, even the meeting attached to the idea of wealth, what does it mean to be wealthy? What do we believe about people who have wealth? That is something... Those kinds of things. Yes, and I, I see that a lot. And what you're saying is absolutely true to to have that mindset of, do we view wealth as a bad thing? Was that something growing up that was discussed negatively because maybe you grew up in a situation where you didn't have those resources or how your parents spoke to you, whether they created a situation where there was fear and anxiety around maybe not having the resource or did they spin it to something positive and leverage it? for an opportunity for growth and development. I will often ask people, what are your, what is your earliest money memory? Mm -hmm. And it's a really fascinating question to ask. And I often suspect that those memories are a lot earlier in life than many parents would assume. Really? And I think the reason is kids pick up on far more then we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Children have the ability to really have a sense of what a financial climate is in a home based on how money is talked about. What are some ways that parents are teaching kids things that maybe we aren't even aware of? So, It can be about how you are talking about work. Mm -hmm. Are you discussing money as something that is hard to come by? It can be in little things about, you know, right now there is a lot of financial anxiety. It is widespread. And the way people are talking about uncertainty about the future, scarcity, those kinds of things, kids are listening. They hear that, they internalize that, they understand those messages of scarcity. Yes. And so I think it's important. And you mentioned that there is widespread anxiety right now, because as we're recording this conversation, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And so there is a lot of fear and uncertainty around not only the stock market and investments, which is primarily what Donna Grace and I are working with clients on, but just in general, 
there's fear around whether or not someone is going to have a job or how they're going to provide for their families, whether it be temporary or more long-term, we are experiencing as not only a nation, but as across the world, this, this intense anxiety. And do you see a difference in when that fear is more widespread versus something that's just acute for an individual? Does it play out differently when everyone is feeling this way at the same time? I don't know that that's different. I think what really has the most impact is how a family chooses to respond. Okay. We are existing in a very hard time right now, but I really believe there's tremendous opportunity to provide invaluable scaffolding of early financial literacy for children right now. Yes. And this is how how I see that. I don't believe that the solution is being silent about your money stress. Okay. I think you need to be thoughtful about how you are talking about your financial situation. But this is an opportunity for you to start to have include children in discussions about what it means to save. Mm -hmm. What are some ways to be creative about earning? Learning a little bit about investing. Introducing the concepts of debt. People are talking about it. Like that is a reality. So thinking about how can you include your children in that is really, really a gift that you can give them. Now, I think what you have to be crystal clear about is if you are in a place where you are feeling very financially anxious, you are uncertain about employment, those kinds of things, your financial fear thermometer is through the roof. Your children are maybe going to sense that. So be very thoughtful about what is being said in front of them. Mm -hmm. And be crystal clear. You can explain to kids, they're going to know on some level that there's some financial stress. Mm -hmm. You can say, this is a stressful time for us. Things are uncertain. Obviously, kids are going to notice if someone loses a job. Right. But it is so, so, so important now more than ever that parents are crystal clear with their kids that it is not the child's responsibility to assume ownership of the family's financial future. So it is human nature. For all of us, when there is something difficult going on, to take responsibility for something. However, if we don't actually have control over whatever that thing is, that is a recipe for stress and anxiety. So your eight-year-old cannot go out and earn $50,000 right now. Right. So he or she can't meaningfully contribute. So you need to be clear that it is your role as the parent to do the providing and that you are taking all the steps needed within your power to do that. Because kids are going to want to do that. Makes, 
a lot of sense. If they are feeling insecure, they're going to, we all kind of want to act. Yes. So people want to feel, and we see that even in, as financial advisors, just to, to have a parallel there, a lot of times the best course of action is to sit still and continue on the yes. course you're on. Exactly. We do have this instinctual need to feel as though we're doing something to help make things better. Yes. And so given that, and you don't want your kids to take on that financial stress and anxiety because they, they can't contribute in a meaningful financial way. Are there things that we could do to help pacify that need to have them feel as though they're contributing? Are there ways in which they can contribute that we can identify for them to help them feel as if they are doing something? So I think this is a great time just to really be introducing practical ways that they can start to learn about money and prepare for their, you can frame it as preparing for their future. Yes. So this is a great time. And this is, this is useful for everybody. I think if people can respond to financial fear with creativity and solutions, mm-hmm. that can do a lot to mitigate what some children then carry forward in their lives with the scarcity mindset of it's hard to make money. I'm not going to have enough money. Making money is going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. This is the money I have. It's not as much as I would want. Okay. What are you going to do about that? Well, right. You can earn more money. We can learn about saving and investing for the future. So maybe this is a time for you to help your child develop some entrepreneurial skills. I love that. That's such a great idea. And I think what you're speaking about too is really developing a growth mindset. Yes. And that I think is something really critical that goes beyond the money conversation. Yes. Yes. It, you know, I was, I was thinking about it this morning, Lauren, and I was thinking about how much time and other kinds of resources mm-hmm. parents invest in their children's athletic careers. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when my child is 26, the likelihood that they are going to be playing on a professional team Mm -hmm. is very, very small. Mm -hmm. But my child's going to have to know how to pay the rent. And I'd like my child to know something about their IRA match. So, what are we doing early on to prepare them for the real realities that they are going to be facing? And I think that's so important. And we can really do so much to set children up for financial success by helping them have have the mindset and understanding of you need to be looking in the long term. Yes. And I think to your point, I tend to have those conversations with my children. My children are eight and 10. And I have always been very candid about financial conversations. I tend to be very mm-hmm. candid about all, all areas, but financially, especially because 
you know, a few years ago when we were at the store and my son said, well, mom, I want this. Can't you just use the credit card? It's like free money. And I suddenly realized, oh, I have not been explicit about how a credit card works. And he now believes that this is just some magical card that we can swipe and get whatever we want. Yes. So I imagine the conversations we're having will depend upon the ages of our children. Are there any general guidelines you can offer about when it's important to start talking on different levels about finances? Like, for example, would you ever recommend parents share with their children what their income is and expenses? Absolutely. I think talking about income is something that you can introduce. I think erring on the side of having more conversations than not is important. Mm -hmm. Again, you want to be clear with the boundary of this is our responsibility, but explaining this is how much we have. Mm -hmm. So this is how we choose to use what we have. And you plan to use that wisely is very, very valuable. You asked just about early money stories and history. Kids pay attention far more to what we do than what we say. And I always find it interesting to ask clients to kind of describe each of their parents' roles and relationships with money. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of fire and energy about the scaffolding of financial literacy earlier, but I think especially for females. Yes. If we want to be addressing this issue of financial inequality for females later on, that we've got a whole lot of noise and attention and discussion that I think is very important, very productive happening about adult females. But let's go ahead and teach our daughters to get really comfortable talking about money so that when they are 25, going into their first contract negotiation, they are not afraid to ask for more. And then they are not afraid to ask for more more often. Yes. And then they know as someone who's maybe not making a lot of money as a 25-year-old that that's okay. I understand compound interest. Yes. So I'm going to start making my money work for me. Yes, absolutely. And that is something that I feel very passionately about in educating people about these concepts because I think it is something that unfortunately, a lot of parents aren't equipped to teach their children about these things. And unfortunately, it's not something we learn in school either. No. So to shift that and to really... Now this gets back to, okay, so now we know how to speak to the next generation and how to empower young women so that when they get to that point, they are capable of having those negotiations and not having the fear around money or the things that we see now, inability to competently manage money, to to empower women to feel like they can make informed decisions about their own money is important. But let's shift it to, and I think this widespread anxiety about money is really unveiling some of our own money anxieties and Yes. 
unhealthy mindsets that already exist. So as adults, when we recognize that, is there anything that we can do to help reshape our mindset about money and to have it be more healthy in the way we're hoping to teach our children about money? Absolutely. I think that this is a time to really step back and examine what are your core beliefs about money? What are your core beliefs about earning? What are your core beliefs about debt, about wealth? And look at the ways in which your behavior and responses driven by these beliefs have ultimately led to your self-sabotage. Yes. So I think we need to shift from a mindset of complete fear and panic to rest right now mm-hmm. to responsible action. Mm-hmm. So that means stopping, slowing down, taking inventory of what you have, looking at what had you been doing up until this point that was working and serving you well. So what do you need to continue? In therapy, I will often I will often encourage people to go through these three questions. What do you need to stop? What do you need to start? And what do you need to keep? Mm-hmm. So really looking at what has been working, let's hold on to that. What were you doing before that really was not serving you? And what is something new that you can be doing? So you feel empowered to add things into your behaviors that are healthy. And exactly. are there any universal things that fall into that category where you see in working with clients and talking about this behavioral finance piece of, of our psychology, are there things that you can identify that typically you can recognize these are the things that most people need to incorporate and add or changes in behavior that most people could benefit from that might help our listeners? So I think it is human nature to when we find ourselves in a current season to feel like it is indefinitely going to be exactly how it is right now. Yes. So we are right here and we we are missing what is next. So really having people think about and have hope that the tide will turn. What do I need to be doing with my choices right now to prepare for when that happens? I'm talking a lot with people about What are choices you can make today that your future self is going to thank you for? Yes, I love that. This can be on a micro level and it can be on a macro level. It can be related to your financial moves right now and it can be related to your food choices. Mm -hmm. But really having that kind of mindset driving what you're doing is going to serve you well. And I think you bring up a key point because there are some times where certain aspects of our lives we really don't have a lot of control over. So you may actually find yourself in a situation right now where you have been furloughed or 
there are just financial things are out of your control. So to shift and observe and say, okay, but my overall wellness is not exclusively tied to money. There are so many other aspects that contribute to my wellness. And if I have this mindset of looking for opportunity and seeing areas, okay, maybe I can't go out and get another job right now because there aren't jobs to get at the moment. But maybe I can spend this time focusing on making better food choices and Mm -hmm. nourishing my body in preparation for when this is all over to be a healthier version of myself to take that to whatever new job I find or back to your existing job. So I think what you bring up is a really key point and to just look at areas where we can do something. Exactly. And I encourage even with the income piece right now, being open to running some small experiments. So maybe your professional life is not going to look exactly like it did 12 months ago, but can you do something different to generate some kind of revenue? It's not that there are no jobs, but the jobs available and the the revenue streams are maybe a little bit different right yes. now. Yes, so getting creative. So, th- so that's different. Because I think when we fall into this cognitive thinking trap of seeing the world as black and white, all or nothing, Mm -hmm. always or never, that really trips us up. People need to start looking and finding the gray. Yes. Because I think in the gray, that is where more hope and confidence lives. I love that. Joy, it's been such a pleasure talking with you about this. And thank you for all of the great tips and sharing with us about money mentality and and how we really help our children feel less anxious and and help ourselves as well has been really fantastic. I appreciate it. It has been an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. But before I let you go, Donna, Grace, and I do have some questions that we like to ask each of our guests after we talk with them. And so there are three questions. I'll start with, what is the most important thing in your life that you are focusing on right now? I am focused professionally. However, I have made strategic choices in my life to change. If we were using the metaphor of running, which I've I've told you, I do not run. I I believe in regular movement, but I do not run. But if I had been looking at my professional life as though I had been a marathon runner, I've switched it up and I'm focusing more on sprints on a different track where my kids can be right there and I can be checking in with them Yes, and really, really nurturing the personal piece. I tell people as as a psychologist and and I believe this is very true for people in the financial services industry right now in particular when you are in a profession where there are people coming at you with lots of emotion it is critical to care for yourself and stay very very grounded so I practice what I preach And so that personal piece is very, very important to me, just making sure that to me, self-care 
is self-preservation. Yes. If you are trying to squeeze it in, it gets squeezed out. It is not a luxury. It is how we function in the roles we hold in our lives in the way that we desire to. Yeah. So in order, I'm sure, to make sure that you prioritize that and fit it in rather than let it be squeezed out, are there areas where you're having to give yourself a little more grace to be able to do that and let go of some things? Yes, absolutely. And I have recognized myself doing that more on a day-to-day basis as we are all humans going through this bizarre experience Mm -hmm. that is the pandemic, really tuning in every day to what what is my capacity? What do I need to do to care for myself? But do I need to have some grace and say, it is okay if productivity today is not what I'm telling myself I wish it would be. Right. Really important. And then finally, do you have any habits or systems or mindsets that have really been instrumental in helping you stay on track with the focus or shift to that sprint versus marathon? So I, there are a couple of things here. I really believe in focusing every day on three things, eat, sleep, move. Yes. We need to care for ourselves in those ways. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that really drives me and how I choose to show up in the world in my multiple roles is this idea of the power that exists when you are living like you are living on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's something about the intentionality of that that is incredibly powerful. I love that. This has been such a wonderful conversation, Joy. I've really enjoyed it. And for our listeners, you just you have some really valuable resources both on your website and on your Instagram. So where can people find you and follow you? So my website is my name, J-O-Y-L-E-R-E.com. And I have a blog there. And I also am active on LinkedIn, Twitter, and spin my creative wheels a little bit on Instagram. You sure do. <laughs> and how can people find you on Instagram? What's your what's your handle? So Instagram and Twitter, my handle is my name, J-O-Y-L-E-R-E, and my degree, P-S-Y-D. Fantastic. And we'll put that all in the show notes for people to find as well. Wonderful. I'd love to connect. Excellent. Well, thank you, Joy. You be well. Thank you.